Afternoon, everyone. My name is Kamal, and it's my privilege to be bringing us God's Word from Isaiah. So if you've closed your Bibles, which I presume you have, uh, let's open it up again to Isaiah chapter 8, and that'll be page 682 in the Red Church Bibles. Isaiah chapter 8, let me briefly pray, and we'll get into it. Thank you, Father God, for your scriptures. Thank you for your faithful servant, Isaiah, who said really loopy stuff back then. Help us to understand your word. Help us to understand your message for us today, especially as, he, as Isaiah looks forward to the, the birth, death, and resurrection of your son. And please strengthen us so that we would be people who rightly listen to your true message and appropriately filter everything else that everyone's clamoring about. Amen. Anyone remember the time last year when someone said that Queen Elizabeth had died and was mistaken about it? So Queen Elizabeth had this regular checkup at hospital. Somehow a BBC journalist had a brain explosion and thought that she had died and tweeted it. Now you know the nature of Twitter. As soon as she had tweeted it, because it's the BBC, it just got multiplied, it got shared, it got retweeted hundreds, thousands of times. So by the time she realized, oh, sorry, my bad. Okay, no, false alarm, false alarm. By the time she fixed it, it had gone literally all over the world. And so for about a day or a couple of days, people all over the world really thought that Her Majesty had passed away. And you know the implications of that. Oh no, Charles is going to ascend to the throne. Anyone for for a republic? Now, we need to know the news. We need to hear the news in order to understand what on earth is going on in the world, in our patch and all over the world. But we need reliable news. We need to know what's going on accurately. Or else we'll start making plans for a republic while Her Majesty is still on the throne. Now God wants us to have reliable news. He wants us to understand properly what's going on with regards Him and with regards ourselves and this world that we live in. But He wants us to understand it reliably. That's why He wants us to listen to Him and not listen to the distorted messages of this world. That's basically what he tells Isaiah in verse 11. So looking at Isaiah 8 verse 11, the Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Nowadays we live in a time when the global balance of power is shifting. Why do we listen so much? Why do we get so much news about the USA, you know, the American elections because the USA as the world's largest economy is still the global superpower. However, personally, I think we should keep our eyes on China. I mean, I'm not a prophet. I'm not even a global analyst. But I just have a feeling that China is really the rising superpower. I think America's on the way down. Now, the people of Jerusalem, whom Isaiah was talking to, lived in that kind of transition time. That kind of time between two major powers. So Egypt was the historical superpower, kind of like the USA. But they were visibly declining. And the rising power was Assyria, the new global superpower. 
Now, in the, in, in, even just after Isaiah's time, Babylon actually rose up as a new superpower and surprised everyone by trouncing Assyria and taking over. It would be like some small, insignificant nation rising up and conquering both the USA and China and becoming the new global superpower, some insignificant country like Sri Lanka. Now, we shouldn't blame. What happened in Isaiah's time was that all different people were squabbling and making backroom deals about which one of these nations, not so much Babylon, there would have been the conservatives who said, we need to make an alliance, we need to get in bed with, be friends with Egypt. There would have been the progressives who said, no, no, they're going down, we need to make an alliance with, make peace, write a treaty with Assyria. And they would have been bickering and making sort of backroom deals, making conspiracies against each other. That's what verse 12 is talking about. Isaiah 8 verse 12. Do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. The people in Isaiah's time were conspiring against each other in order to try and get these alliances happening. We shouldn't blame them because look where Jerusalem is. Right smack in the middle of all these superpowers. Isaiah, we have to make an alliance with somebody or else we'll get stomped on by everybody. It's a matter of national survival. But in the midst of all this panic, God says to Isaiah, relax. There's actually only one empire you need to worry about. There's only one superpower you need to ally yourself with. There's only one power, superpower you need to trust. Almighty God. That's what he says in verse 13. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. So these factions were all like conspiring, conniving behind closed doors in order to try and protect their nation. They wanted safety, security, peace, comfort. Do we blame them? No, of course not. But God says, don't want the Forget about these superpowers. I'll give you safety, security, comfort. That's the first line of verse 14. And he, God, will be a sanctuary. Doesn't this sound so familiar? When life is uncertain, when surprising, frightening things happen so that our normal life is upset and we're not sure about things anymore, what alliances do we try and make? Where, what worldly authorities, what worldly powers do we look to to protect us? A few months ago, I got my middle-of-year superannuation statement. You know, just a normal one that you get. So I clicked on the PDF, brought it up, and promptly panicked because my superannuation had gone down. The returns were negative. So I thought, oh no, I'm never going to be able to retire. I'll end up on a park bench living out of a shopping trolley. Now, the secular kind of rational response is, relax. That's just the sort of you know, income cycle. One year it makes a bit of a loss and the next year it goes up and things. And if all, all going well, if your risk posturing is correct, then you'll make money. But that's still... A secular money-oriented response, isn't it? What my moment of panic showed, God was like 
calling me to think different, is that, that I had made an alliance with my superannuation. I had made a treaty with money to keep me comfortable and safe and happy when I'm older and retired. And I actually had to repent of that. I had to stop worrying, stop fearing and trusting my superannuation. Because think about it, which is more rational, which is more like logical, to trust a superannuation firm who doesn't actually care about me, okay? Why do they want my money? Because they want to invest it at a higher return than they're giving me. They want to make money from my money. That's all they really want. Is it rational to trust them or to trust Jesus, who died for me so that I can actually live forever, not just live in a retirement home? We need to listen to God's perspective on the world. We need to listen to his news. Because if we don't, we'll actually end up ignoring him and letting the perspectives of this world shape our responses. That's what God warns Isaiah, just in the second line of verse 14 and into 15. So, second line of verse 14. But for both houses of Israel, he will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. You see the difference here. If you put your trust in, in God, says uh, Isaiah, well, says God to Isaiah, then God will be a sanctuary, a refuge. If you don't put your trust in God, then you'll trip over him. He'll be a snare, a trap. He'll destroy you. We need, we live in such a loud busy, noisy world. There's so many voices clamoring for our attention. The, the internet, here's the latest fashion, here's the latest news, uh, advertising, buy this, it'll make your life better. Here's the latest fashion. People saying, have you thought of this? Have you thought of this? What about this? And If we only listen to them, we'll end up ignoring God. Because all these voices, they end up t- enticing us inviting us to have values and priorities that are against God. Work on this project. Here's a new business opportunity. Here's a new pr- a promotion for you at work. It'll be great. You can, we can, you can get a secondment. Uh, maybe Singapore or perhaps London or maybe even New York. And you can take the family and it'll be great for your kids. They can go to a private school in Singapore or London or New York and on the weekends you'll be able to go across to Europe or to Los Angeles or Washington DC and go to all those lovely free museums I mean it means leaving your church of course I mean you can't we can't fly you every week to church back here in in Epping Um, and look you know it's a big project you might need to work long hours uh, and you can probably forget about being useful in any church in Singapore or London or New York. Just, just put your head down and work, but don't worry, it'll be worth it. The kids will love you, the wife will love you, the husband will love you. Now, is it sinful to see the world? No, definitely not. Is it sinful to give your children the opportunity to like, visit the world and have new experiences? Definitely not. But what are the values, the priorities, the perspective on the world that this message, this invitation is coming with? It says money will make you happy. And that money will give you, money buys happiness in the long run. 
Jesus says, store up your treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Which is more important, working hard so your children have lots of money to buy good gadgets and travel the world, or being there in the evening with them so you can read the Bible with them before they go to bed and pray with them before they go to bed? Which is more important, to, for your children to see you being kind and polite and patient with people at your work or your family members who are just difficult or to see you brushing them off and because it's like, sorry, I'm going to go and earn a buck for you so that we can go on our overseas holiday. But everybody's doing it. I mean, isn't this normal? Isn't this what everyone does? That's the problem. It's the very normality of this kind of careerism, this kind of the materialism, the selfishness. It's the very normality of all this that is the problem. This is why we need to listen to God according to his Bible, the, the God according to his world, word, because otherwise we end up on the wrong side of history. Back in Isaiah's time, God warned the people of Jerusalem, don't make these alliances with these superpowers. They'll crush you in the end. They'll enslave you. The people said, ha, as if. Everybody's doing it. This is, what we, this is the normal thing, Isaiah. Don't be so impractical. Stop being so jolly pious. If we make these alliances, then these superpowers will protect us and trade with us. We'll be wealthy. We'll be happy. It's the way to security and harmony. Whose version of the future became history? As in, which, actually, which version of the future actually came to pass? Shock. Gods. Because Assyria invaded the northern kingdom and destroyed the nation of Israel forever. Like it just ceased to exist as an ethnic group. And Assyria came right up to Jerusalem. And only the piety and prayers and tears of godly King Hezekiah rescued the city of Jerusalem from being destroyed. We'll read about it and study it in Isaiah chapters 36 to 39 when we eventually get to it in 2020 or something at the rate that we're going at the moment. But anyway. But then a few years after that, the nation of Babylon finished the job by coming along and destroying Jerusalem and plundering all of the gold and silver and taking it back to Babylon. God said, don't make those alliances. The very nations, the superpowers you're trusting in will destroy you. The people said, no, they won't. They'll protect us. God's version became history. The people were wrong. God has now told us where all of history is heading. And it's to, to a watching world, it's the most ridiculous, hilarious, stupid end goal of history ever. It's that Jesus rules as Lord. Now, for those of us who are already trusting Jesus, and we go, yeah, yeah, Jesus is Lord. What's the big deal? What do you mean it's stupid? Just think for a moment what we're saying to the world. A Jewish man who never got married and never had sex, which just means, of course, he's some child, isn't he? Or is there something wrong with him? He who never owned a house, okay, who gathered a bunch of misfits around him, but then got abandoned at the end of his life, got tried, got put on trial by the rulers, 
and eventually died completely like with naked with nobody caring for him that that misfit came back from the dead <laughs> who believes in coming back from the dead these days and that he's actually god's savior for the whole world you guys believe that do you see how idiotic how stupid how abnormal god's version of future history is what i mean by future history is what god says the where god says the world is going but what do the scriptures say matthew 28 verse 18 jesus said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me acts 17 verse 31 the apostle paul says he has set a day he god has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed he has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead philippians 2:9 to 11 god exalted him jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord god has told us where history is going if you want to be on the right side of history trust jesus the other option is to laugh at god's message now and basically become a laughing stock for eternity this is why back then and now we need god's reliable source of news you see just cuz how idiotic how stupid it is now back then because the the people of god the people of jerusalem laughed at the message god said to isaiah look just keep it in and keep it for the future look at verses 16 to 18 bind up the testimony and seal up the law among my disciples i will wait for the lord who is hiding his face from the house of jacob i will put my trust in him here am i and the children the lord has given me we are signs and symbols in israel from the lord almighty who dwells on mount zion now when so god, uh, isaiah was god's authorized news source at the time and the news ba- came mainly through his children's names So last week we read the long Bible passage that had all of um Isaiah's three significant children. Look it's actually not that bad. Isaiah's message is really quite simple when we pay attention to the children's names. First of all there's Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then there's Maher Shalal Hashbaz. I tell you the guy must have got bullied at school. What do you say? And like with a name like that, first it's it's a long complex name and then the meaning It means smash and grab basically. Hi, what's your name? Smash and grab. What? But then the third child, his name is Shi'a Yashub, which means a remnant will return. Now put that together. What's God saying through the names of Isaiah's children? It's not actually that complicated. God is in with his people. He's in the midst of his people even though his people have turned away from him and are ignoring him. because his people are ignoring him god is going to bring the enemy nations they're going to smash and grab they're going to destroy the place plunder and loot all the gold and jewels from the temple and the palace and stuff and even take away all the young leaders that's where the whole book of daniel comes from the young men with potential were all taken away to babylon but don't worry a remnant will will return shea yashub And sure enough, after in about after about 70 years of exile, people returned and under Ezra and Nehemiah and rebuilt the temple and Jerusalem and so on and so on. 
it's, it's, it's not that bad, is it? But people laughed at Isaiah's message. They thought it's just stupid. That's what it says in verse 17. The Lord is hiding his face from Jacob because the people have turned away from him. It's basically the people are, hey, whatever, God. So God's like, whatever to you too. Because the people ignored God, in verse 16, God says, bind up the testimony and seal the law. Preserve the message for the future because the people now are not listening. We are the future that Isaiah wrote for. In two months' time, we're going to celebrate the child who is not just a sign of Emmanuel. We're going to celebrate the child who really is God amongst us. Jesus, who came as not just the sign, but the reality that God doesn't turn away from us. So we turn away from him. We tell him to get lost, but instead of saying fine and turning away from us, he keeps his arms open to us and even gives us his best, his one and only son, What's the best thing about Christmas? Holidays, food, presents. The best thing about Christmas is Jesus. God in our midst, not just a sign, but the reality that our God never abandons us, even though we keep turning away from him. The people of the New Testament, the people who wrote the New Testament, realized that they were living in this time of the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecies and all the other prophecies for that matter. That's why they wrote the New Testament. The authors of the New Testament knew, they understood that they needed to be God's new reliable source documenting the fulfillment of what God has done so that people throughout the world and throughout history could read and understand the fulfillment of what Isaiah only looked forward to. And so look at how Luke opens his gospel. In Luke 1, I'll just read it to you, and then some of the key points will come up. Luke says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled amongst us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, It seemed good also to me to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke is a reporter, a careful, responsible journalist who goes and interviews people who saw what was going on and then tries to articulate in an orderly, careful manner, this is what actually happened when God sent his son to live die and rise in our midst, God with us. And it's not just Luke, check out Paul. Paul says in the famous passage about Jesus' resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at one time, most of whom are still living, even though some have fallen asleep. Guys, 500 people saw the risen Jesus, you can go ask them, talk to them, no problem. And Peter, we did not follow cleverly invented stories. We were eyewitnesses of Jesus' majesty. The apostle John, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. How much more tactile do you want than touching 
hugging the risen Lord Jesus. This is why we make such a big deal of our growth groups, our Bible studies. Even when we're looking at the Old Testament, we're trying to understand what does this say about Jesus. Every single page, every single verse of the Bible drips Jesus. And so this is why we get together to, try to understand, to hear the message of God through his reliable news source, through his scriptures. Because if we, and if other people, we need to also invite other people to hear this news, because if they don't get their news from us, they'll get it from someone else. Have a look at verses 19 and 20. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. In Isaiah's time, people had Holy Scripture. Obviously, they didn't have the whole Bible. But they had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in, but instead of listening to that, to hear what God had said to his people, this is what it means to live my, my way. This is what it means to live as the people whom I've already rescued from Egypt. They were going along to magicians and seances and all that sort of thing. Now, isn't that just typical? Back in those superstitious days. Nowadays, things are different because we have science, we have learning, and so we put aside all the magic and we put aside all the religions as well because we are a scientific, sophisticated people. Aren't we? People love to say that the world is becoming more secular, especially Western society, and to some extent, there's a truth in that. People are identifying more and more as no religion. That's just a sort of census fact. But the world is not becoming less worshipful. We're just changing the gods that we worship so that no one's even pretending. Well, not no one. Very, very few people are even pretending to worship the God of Je- and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, anymore. So I picked up the Northern Times, just the local rag. And it's really interesting. On page 5, okay? Coles, the Coles ad, what's, what's headlining the Coles ad? Diwali. It's a Hindu and Buddhist festival. How very secular, how unreligious. Coles, with all their however many millions of dollars they spend in their marketing department, has decided that, at least at Epping, for the Northern Times, to use Diwali to sell rice and roti and whatever else is on that jolly ad. <laughs> That's not secular. That's religious. And on the very next page is this, is it Tiffany? Yeah, this, a, rep, a report about this girl Tiffany who has had a mind-body-spirit overhaul. Isn't that interestingly spiritual? Now, when you read the actual article, uh, which you're welcome to borrow this, but I need it back for like 6.30 church, okay, so you can't keep it. Um, the article doesn't say anything much religious. It's just about having a fit body, but the sense of it worships physical health. So the spirit bit is like, if you have a strong, fit body, then everything will go well for you. You'll have a good, healthy, purged, clean soul. That's kind of the, the sense of the article. Even atheists worship something. The tragedy is that they don't realize. Have a look at this. This is a quote 
from one of the most rampant, arrogant atheists out there, Lawrence Krauss, Larry Krauss. He says, it really is the most poetic thing I know about physics. You are all stardust. Now, if you Google, you are, we are all stardust, or, okay, you'll see lots of actually really beautiful quotes about how we are made up of the same stuff as burns in the stars. The, the, the fire of a million suns is in our souls. We belong to the universe, and the universe belongs to us. But this is atheists. Reminds me of Buddhism and Hinduism. Doesn't it sound the same? And it's really actually beautiful. It's poetic. I'm, I'm confident that they feel the connection with the stars. They're not like trying to make it up or something. But that's worship. They're just worshipping the stars. But look, guys, hello. The stardust doesn't care. The suns don't give a hoot whether we are happy or sad or bad or mad, whether our children are doing well or not. How different from the Lord Jesus Christ who lived beyond the stars in joy with his father from eternity to eternity, but he loved us so much, he came down to become a humble child in a manger, in a side room, which we celebrate in two months' time. Emmanuel, God with us. If we let people, if we ourselves or if we let our friends and family keep listening to rubbish like this, they will end up in darkness, in hell. Verses 21 to 22, let's bring it home. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking up will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. This is a picture of war. What had God warned his people back in Isaiah's time? He said, if you make those treaties, the superpowers will destroy you. And what happened? Assyria and Babylon came and they came with their armies and they marched to Jerusalem and they smashed it and people ran from them and cowered in caves and they starved. And they died. But even that is only a small picture of what happens to us when we reject God. Jesus himself, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, a little babe in the manger. He said, he warned us about hell. Where we suffer the consequences of rejecting God forever. Where we go into a darkness with no friends, with no joy, with no Rescue, no hope, nothing, only pain and fear and bitterness and resentment forever and ever and ever. And that's what Jesus died and rose to rescue us from. Do you want to hear about the child who was born to bring light to those in darkness? Do you want to hear about the one on whose shoulder is the government of the whole universe? The one who came to bring world peace? Come back next week. When Derek, our student minister, will take us through the next section, Isaiah 9, 1 to 7. But for now, let's wrap up. It's good for us to listen to the news, to hear what's going on in our world and in, as it were, God's world. So, folks, have you heard the news? 
Jesus Christ is risen. Death has no power. Hell itself, the, the fires of hell itself have been quenched for those who trust in him. His arms are open wide to anyone who puts their trust in him. Have you heard the news, from folks? Have you heard the good news? Let's pray. Thank you, Father God, that you sent your son to become human, a child in a manger, Emmanuel, your very soul, yourself, with us. Thank you that he died and rose to bring us back to yourself. Please help us to keep listening to your scriptures, your message. Help us to share that message with those around us as best we have opportunity. And we look forward to rejoicing around your throne forever. Amen.